Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation. It is a bumper episode this week with four games to review and preview, each as bleak and depressing as the next. So joining me to discuss QPR's poor fortunes is Dan Lambert, Micah Chudley and Our Generation founder and BBC London pundit Sam Taylor. Welcome guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. Uh, so, as mentioned, we do unfortunately have to talk about the games against Sheffield United and Preston before previewing the Easter games against Huddersfield and Derby. Let's start with the trip up to Sheffield. A 1-0 loss, which was possibly one of the most boring and depressing games of football I've ever watched. Uh, Dan, in 60 seconds, can you sum up what happened in this game? Um, probably even shorter than that. I mean, the first half was pretty, pretty awful. Set piece goal separates the two sides. Um, we didn't really create much all game, and then, yeah, uh, I feel bad, bad for the away fans. Really, that was brief. Uh, so the team headlines for this game: Barbe returned to the side. Uh, Adoma came in instead of Moses. No Hansen. Hendrick also started, and then we had a strike partnership of. Andre Gray and Lyndon Dykes up top. Uh, as I said, bleak and depressing seems to be the theme for this week. But guys, Sam, w- what did you think of this game? It was really predictable. Like I think it was. We it sort of got to a point now with these games where I'm fully expecting us to kind of try just before half time and then come back after half time and then concede instantly. Like. We are just in a negative rhythm. Our patterns are horrible. Um, and uh, it's a shame because we were absolutely certain we were going to win the game after the next game after the next game in January and all before that. And now it's all just a bit of a chore. Um, and that game against Sheffield United, I can't I can't think of anything to say. Like, it, nothing happened. We just were rubbish. We conceded and we were rubbish. And then we lost. So it's a real shame. Micah, you were uh, shaking your head. I'm sure you weren't disagreeing. You were more shaking your head in, I'm sure, reminding yourself of how poor it was. Yeah. It was more that I was getting flashbacks and I was just trying to repress them by shaking my head as hard as possible. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't work. Um, I think, do you know what was more annoying for me in this game? It was more the fact that I don't even think Sheffield United were that good. Like, I know, obviously, like, since the change of manager, they've been doing really well. I thought they were, like, bang average. I just thought we were just worse than bang average, which is which is painful. I'll give credit to the to the back three. I thought the back three did well. I thought Adoma had a good game. But just bleak. It's like Sam said, I feel like as soon as the other teams score, I just feel like that's it. Like, we've lost the game. Once they score the first goal, it just feels like we're going to lose. Yeah, the thing is with this game, regardless of how well they had been playing, um, they're on a bit of a, I'm not going to say downward spiral, but they've had so many injuries recently that if there was ever a time that you wanted to play Sheffield United under Paul Heckingbottom, it would be right now. And it felt like there's a perfect opportunity for a side to go and take three points off of them. Uh, Something that we didn't even get close to doing. Dan, anything sort of to look at like what how can you improve from this point with the way we're playing at the moment what is it that we didn't do against Sheffield United that we could be doing and say what what have we stopped doing from earlier on in the season as when Sam said we felt like we were going to win every game well I mean we didn't really create many chances or at least good chances in that game I felt felt it was quite it was going to be a cagey game anywhere I thought because the systems were matched, so it was kind of who was going to win your individual battles. Um, I thought Chair played well. I thought he was our best best player, um, creating quite a few chances. He was the one trying to create space for movement. Um, but yeah, I, like like Sam said, like Mike said, we're quite predictable in the way we play at the minute. We're not creating too many good chances or the amount of chances. Um, there's quite a few areas we probably need to improve on, but injuries have been um, an issue for us. Yeah, um, as you mentioned there, and I'm really glad you did mention it, a lack of service, lack of 
creation of anything, even though Chair was sort of trying his hardest, the rest of the side didn't really do anything. Um, Micah, the service for Gray and Dykes just non-existent, wasn't it? Like, you know, I've seen people criticising Dykes for being, I don't know, people say he's rubbish, but what's he meant to do if he doesn't get a decent chance in 90 minutes? Yeah, I think the thing with Dykes as well, I think, I'm not going to say any names, but I do think there's certain people within um, the media around QPR that have sort of, I don't want to say a campaign against him, but they've whipped up this sort of like ill feeling towards Dykes because of the whole Scotland thing. I think, you know, it wasn't his best game, but it wasn't like, you know, he was given loads to work with, really. Same with Gray. Um, I mean, we we can get into why it is we think that they're not getting the service. But I mean, we've done it a million times on this podcast. You know, we've spoke about wing backs. We spoke about moving the ball forward. Yeah, just it just it just feels like I'm at a loss as to where we go next, to be honest. Sam, any thoughts on the sort of strike partnership and the lack of service they're getting? Yeah, well, I was gonna say it's really difficult. Like I was all I was I was a striker when I was in summer league and I would always get shouted at if I didn't uh, you know, have enough shots on goal or whatever. But there were games when you just stand there and you come in a bit and you, you, what can you do? It's your job to be the one at the end there. But then, obviously, I think about strikers like, let's compare our striker to the best striker in the country. So Harry Kane, he spends half the time in midfield, which is great. Well, we do have that. Great. We have Charlie Austin. <laughs> well, there you go. Our strikers, if when they come back, it doesn't really work with the way we play. And I'm sure, Dan, you probably understand this more. But when Dykes drops back, we lose, like any of like attacking like prowess because he's sitting in a packed midfield because we've got two centre mids, two cams, and then a striker is just sitting there as well. And I think when we've got the two uh, attacking midfielders there, it's kind of it doesn't really work for Dykes to be in the midst as well. And I think we have wing backs and we have a centre forward in Dykes. So it's kind of their jobs to sort of get the balls into him and be on the end to it. And I don't blame him at, at all. I don't really blame anyone in particular. I just think we've lost our sort of, I don't know. I honestly have no idea why we're wrong. I think we have I think we genuinely have just hit the full capability of what this team is kind of capable of, I feel like. I think Warburton, I'm sure we'll get onto his future at some point later in the pod, but Warburton, I feel like, has really got like the absolute best he can out of this squad. And unfortunately, like that has come, you know, with eight, nine games left of the season. Um, you know, uh, I think Sam touched on it a little bit about the wing backs. You know, you know, Adoma and Wallace, for all intents and purposes, they've had a good season for what they can do. But really what we need now is we need a little bit more athletic wing backs, a little bit quicker guys that can get up and down a bit more. So that like when Sam said, we've got two CMs in the middle of the pitch and Dykes dropping deep. We have an outlet on either side. And again, that's nobody's fault. It's not Warburton's fault. It's not the club's fault. Well, I suppose it is the club's fault because we're paying for the mistakes we made years ago, which is why it's set up like this. But it's not the current club regime's fault. It's not the players' fault. I just think we've hit a wall. Yeah, I think looking at that game, Wallace looked like he was absolutely on his last legs, really. And, yeah. you know, kind of got the same thing for Adoma. If you compare that to that period of form that he had and the game that really stands out is Blackburn at home, where he kind of just turned up and he was like, I'm going to showboat my way to a victory. And he did. He was doing everything down that flank. He was up and down, up and down. Well, now it's caught up with him. He can't, it doesn't look like he can do that. Or like if they can, I don't know. There just seems to be some sort of mental block. I, don't, I can't put an exact reason on it. But for whatever reason, that has now come to pass. And, you know, it is a case of probably we've reached the limits of what this team can do. We have stolen points more often than not this season when we haven't been playing well enough. And then that has then again caught up with us. Uh, And now it's just like, you know, I guess you could say the wheels have fallen off, but it's probably more likely, like you said, to say it in a bit kinder way, Micah, that they've just sort of reached the limit of their potential. Uh, Did you have something to say, Sam? Look. Yeah, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt, but um, I just think that's why I find it so 
bizarre. Well, it's not bizarre because people won't think long term or whatever. But it, tr- I do, I really think it's just an unfortunate situation. It's, it's just the reality that our squad isn't good enough, and we were playing so well for such like a intense period of time that I think if we could look back now, we'd probably be like it was a bit inevitable that we would burn out, and I think that's kind of what we've done. And so it, I really can't blame anyone because Warburton, I don't know. We, he was doing the same thing that he was doing before. And I guess maybe he, you could say he doesn't have a backup plan, but I actually don't think he has the resources to create a good enough backup plan. Because how can you have a backup plan for a winning team when some of the key parts of that winning like operation are gone? Like, without mm. Willock, without Dieng, now without Dickey. It's just, it's unfortunate, but it's just more of a reality check. And that's why I want to give him, you know, the time, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but I think that's something we'll learn from in the future. But yeah, it's just a hard reality check, I think. Yeah. Uh, Dan, then, let's talk about the goal. You mentioned it already briefly, that it was disappointing. Um, Yeah, what were your thoughts on this? It was a routine from Sheffield United, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely um, one off the training training pitch. Um, I think Warburton said they planned for it. Um, Post-match, he said they they were anticipating that to come, but it was just a matter of we didn't get out to Norwood quick enough. Um, I think his starting position was very deep, so I can understand why there wasn't someone out there to start with. Um, but yeah, it was frustrating because, like Mike said before, they probably won uh, the Sheffield United that have been at their best this season. The thing is, though, with this goal, and I guess, yeah, they did plan for it. Um, is it Field that tries to close him down, perhaps? But Yeah, it's Field, yeah. The thing is, uh, when looking at it, that in and the other corners that we had, um, they they had four Sheffield United players on the sort of penalty spot area. We had three of our players marking them, if I'm not mistaken. Something it, like that. Yeah. Does that make sense to anyone? Because it doesn't no. quite sense make sense to me. <laughs> No, I said it to my dad at the time as well. I just remember thinking, like, it's like everybody froze. Do you know what I mean? Like, the short corner went in. Clearly, everyone was expecting it to go in the box. And then, like, everybody just froze. And then field, like, sprints out to them. I was really confused. It's clearly, like like Dan said, it's clearly a, it's a training ground thing, isn't it? They've clearly worked on that. But it didn't seem that complicated to me. I don't know. Yeah, because they have definitely tried it in other games and uh, failed to score from in other games as well, because uh, I saw it on Twitter. Someone else put it up pretty much straight away after the game. Um, you know, exactly how we should be defending it. But yeah, very poor. And like you said, throughout the game, Sheffield United didn't really look like they were going to threaten, especially in the second half. That was so dead. Like there was nothing happening there from either side. Both sides seemed content to lose, either lose the game. And Sheffield United were like, well, okay, we'll win 1-0. That's, <laughs> we don't need to do anything else. It almost seemed happy that it was only one. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. It was poor second half from both sides. Yeah. Um, one player that uh, really confused me, actually. Well, not them themselves, but this is so strange. Luke Amos, right? Doesn't get on the pitch at all. And if you just think, at right now, this moment in time, he's probably having his best period of form in a QPR shirt ever. And yet, when he was perhaps not playing well enough, when he wasn't, when games are sort of passing by, he gets in the side every game. But now, when he's probably playing his best football QPR, he doesn't even come off the bench. Like, I don't, anyone got an exact answer for why that's the case? I have a theory. I have a theory. I don't know if Dan has anything. Well, the, the only thing I'm thinking of is we're chasing a game Sheffield United are probably going to... Uh, I don't remember the game completely because I've tried to zone it out of my memory. Um, but teams just sit. When, we went, when we're chasing games, teams will just sit in a low block. And uh, Warburton said on a few occasions that um, Amos is kind of his best trait is making them like third-man runs into the, into the box for space. And I don't think there was particularly, particularly um, the space to for him to probably make an impact. I mean... I don't know, he could have made a difference in that game, but I think that's probably Warburton's thinking behind the, the move. Mike, you said you had a theory. 
Yeah, I mean, I say I have a theory. I think it's more just like, it's more coming back from injuries his first full season. If you look, he's not actually played 90 for a while. Um, so I imagine we, we had three games in that week, obviously, against Fulham. I think he came off in the last 10, 15 minutes or so, if I remember. Um, and um, obviously didn't play on um, Wednesday, last Wednesday. What day are we on? When did we play? I can't remember. The whole week's a blur. Didn't play against Sheffield United. Um, and then obviously, I think he got an hour on Saturday as well. So I, if I had to guess, I would say maybe Warburton, the sports science, sports, sports science team, that is the word. Um, and maybe like, listen, this is his first full season back. Let's just go easy on him with the minutes. Yeah, I think that's but, yeah. one of the criticisms some people have against Warburton, um, they like to think that he goes into the sports science a little bit too much. You know, and maybe in this sort of situation... I'd have to disagree. You just play him. But yeah, no. It's not... I'd have to disagree. I mean, I mean now, sorry, I feel like I'm talking a lot. But now, um, the, the, the thing that's derailed our season is injuries. But, you know, last season, as far as I can remember, other than Amos, we barely had any, unless they were sort of like knocks and stuff. So, you know, it can't be last season, oh, we're so great with our sports science, we can buy injury home players and they'll be fine. And then a year later, it's, oh, he's listening to the sports scientists too much. You know, it's it's, it's one or the other. It has to be one yeah. or the other. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. I also, sorry, Alex. I also, I also think, I mean, we'll touch on it in a bit more detail, but he had a uh, answer about Don on Saturday after the game. And I think he said... Um, oh, now you're skipping ahead. This is... Oh, sorry. Just throwing the plan for the podcast out of the water here. We can't be... Fine, we can talk about Don Ball now, seeing as you've brought it up, but uh, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not happy about this, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, say what you need sorry, to say. You got, you... No, it was just that... Um, what's it? He said that they wanted to play Luke Amos. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he said on Twitter... Um, so I just think it's probably um, as simple as um, Stefan Janssen and Fielder is favourite midfield two and Amos is behind the pecking order for me. Um, obviously, there's other reasons, but I think that kind of summed it up from what he said for, for me. So with that Don Ball uh, question sort of lingering, um, is Don Ball better than our other midfield options then? <laughs> Warburton <laughs> wants to have an answer. Sam, is he better? I just... I just, it, it's the most, it's the most like blatant example of Twitter just needing something to get, like attack someone and get behind. So it's so stupid. Don Ball's a good player, right? But he's like, he's probably, I mean, he's not better than Amos. I don't think he's better than Dezel. I don't think he's better than Phil. He's definitely not better than Johansson. He's such a scrappy player. And I love Don Ball. Um, but. I, he's, it's just so random that they're now saying he's the answer. He's just someone who hasn't been playing, probably because he's not... I don't know. I don't think Don Ball's good enough. He's nowhere near the, that, that starting line-up in my, in my yeah. eyes. Um, would any of you guys demand Don Ball to have been playing when we were beating Coventry and stuff like that away from home and everyone was praising Johansson and Field to the Hills? So I just remember the start of the season when Ball was playing and everyone was like, oh, we'll be better when Sam Field gets yeah. back. And the narrative has flipped again. It's ridiculous. But that's the thing. I've got no problem with Don Ball, by the way, before. <laughs> I, I like Don Ball a lot. But Here goes another get Twitter rant incoming. Um, <laughs> speaking of another midfielder, Jeff Hendrick, someone we've talked about plenty of times on this podcast, someone that has... I wouldn't even say split opinion. He's just become a figure of hate for a lot of QPR fans. Um, I've got something to say about okay. Jeff Would it tie into my question, should he ever play for QPR again? <laughs> okay, yes, go ahead. Well. I think people's... I think Jeff Hendrick came in at a bad time and I don't think him being a bad player, at whether he's good or not, I don't think that's actually the problem. I think he came in as we started to get worse, I think we would have got worse anyway. I think he came in one at a bad time. I also don't know how suited he is to our style of play. I also think all our wins 
came from essentially the same team. So any disruption to that was going to make a uh, a negative impact. I've seen, I just don't, he doesn't really do anything like terrible. Like it's not like he's getting on the ball and then just kicking it into the middle of nowhere. He just can't really get on onto it. I don't know much about tactics or whatever. I just sort of go, oh, he scored a goal, he's good. But he just, I just can't, I can't say that, I don't think he deserves the hate he gets. And I wouldn't start him because I want to be as good as we were when we were playing the team that were winning. So I would play that team if we could. But it's not fair to um, put all the blame on him. But I also don't think that um, he should be starting ahead of people like Amos and Giselle. I think it's pointless. Um, And even now, when our season's basically over, why would we develop someone else's player who doesn't need developing is like 55. But, yeah. <laughs> 55, blimey. Uh, Dan, I don't want you to talk only about Jeff Hendrick because you've made your thoughts on him pretty clear. But do you sort of agree with everything that Sam said there? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think I've said in the past, he just kind of like, for me, he's like a six, probably a six out of 10 in each department. But he doesn't, there's not like one thing he excels in that maybe... Sam Field or Johansson would um, would particularly excel in. Um, yeah, I, he wouldn't be in my preferred midfield two for me. Um, I've pretty made it clear several times that Stephanie Hansen and Sam Field are our best midfield partnership for me. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it on Hendrick, really. Yeah, um, I don't think there's anything else to talk about in regards to Sheffield United, uh, unless you guys had anything. But for me, it kind of felt like a bit of a watershed moment for Warburton I felt like more people I don't know decided that they didn't want to see him at as QPR manager after that game I don't know whether I'm just because I haven't watched many games recently and that's probably one of the only ones I have been able to watch so I don't know whether that makes me sort of skew my opinion of it all but did you guys think that this was a bit of a sort of game-changing moment for him yeah I felt it on Twitter yeah, I, I don't know. For me, I, I'm still I'm still Warburton, so I don't think not, that not you personally, but me. sort of like the wider fan base. Well, what, well, but what does the wider fan base think? One minute they're they're all happy, and the next they're all they're all negative. I mean, there's no there's no in between with Twitter, is there? It's, it's really yeah, I think though. I I think after the Sheffield United game, I think uh, it was similar to what game was it last year? I can't remember what game it was last year, Wickham? but it was. Was it Wickham away? I can't remember. Wickham Where? away. Yeah, Wickham, that's it. Yeah. Wickham away. Yeah. Similar to Wickham away where I was seeing more of the kind of sort of saner, level-headed QPR fans kind of being a bit more like, oh, this doesn't look good, you know? It was like that. I think it was because it was sort of was a sign that this was now how we were. Like when you lose a few games, it can be seen as like, oh, it's just a bad patch. But I think when we lost that game in particular, people were like, oh, mm. okay, this is it now. And when you start to just, you know, hit sort of plateau a bit, I think that's often the case of, okay, we need improvement now. And when it doesn't, I think that game sort of showed our fans that this is now where the season is going. Mm. So, yeah, I do think that was an important Okay, game. so uh, let's put Sheffield United behind us and move on to Preston. So, yay, another loss to talk about. Yay. Um, the team headlines. The big one, I guess, and Twitter will come up again when we talk about this player. Uh, Mahoney comes in to make his debut after Westwood, I believe, is quoted as being violently sick. Dan, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Violently sick in the warm-up. Uh, so we lose another goalkeeper. That's fantastic. We do change, however, to a back four. And here comes the tactical discussion because Amos, Field, Johansson and Dezel all play in midfield. Uh, in what shape, though? That's the real question. Is it a diamond or is it a hexagon? Uh, Moses, Sanson and McCallum all come into the side as well. Gray drops out and... Dicky, of course, as well, is out for the season. So those that was what changed with the team. We'll get on to that in a second. But Micah, like Dan before you, you have 60 seconds to sum up what happened at Preston. Um, 
Do you know what? I actually thought it was probably one of our better performances for a while. I actually think we started really well. Um, and then it was a classic case of the goal went in. The life kind of sort of just died from the team um, and we lost, I suppose. So, yeah. Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, let's look at that team then. Uh, the midfield, Amos, Field, Johansson, Dezel, and a back four. This is not him actually wanting to change it, is it? This is just him being forced into it because we've run out of players now. Am I right? Or yeah, 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 basically, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, most it's all of our midfielders in the squad, bar Hendrik, who was injured, that that played. And you know, uh, I for one would love to see the hexagon come back again, but I guess it is a di- <laughs> it is a diamond, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Unfortunately, it is a diamond. Yes, Real shame. <laughs> I will be trying it on Football Manager in the future, though, to see if it works. It works. It works. That's what I'm going to say. My QPR team are in the Champions League at the moment. Just saying. Well, you know, if Warburton does, you know, get sacked, I think someone might be submitting their CV. Um, I, I've been saying it all year. I, I guess I didn't watch this game. I kind of zoned out of it, especially after we went one nil down. Um, but I do understand that Dazelle has two fantastic chances to score. Um, Micah, you look pretty frustrated at this. Yeah, because um, I remember I was watching it on a um, questionable stream from a country that's not this one on my um, TV. And um, I remember like when he, because he, it kind of like he gets a little bit like he runs through. He gets a little bit lucky with. I think it bounces off another defender's shin, but he's through on goal. And I remember as he gets through on goal, I just stood up like that, and then he kind of just. It's on his weaker foot, right? So I'll 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 give him the benefit of the doubt that it's on his weaker foot. But I just feel like any other side except straight at the keeper, and we go one nil up, and you know we might be talking about a completely different result but and a more confident player I mean not that not Dezel in particular I just think for general confidence because there are a few players who've been missing those chances mm. I think if Dezel's thrown goal in January that's a goal because you take more of a risk going for the yeah. corner than you do just going straight down the middle I mean Gray missed a good one as well and he's literally scored that exact goal this season mm. like that so, yeah. yeah, disappointing. I kind of one of these things that I've always felt about the Zell is that he's just a little bit, um, you know, he's he tries to be a bit too, a little bit too. No, I don't want to say too clever. He tries to be a d- bit too fancy at times. Like whereas he kind of, he, and it feels it feels like he's a bit soft as a player. Like just sort of instead of being able to just you know he plays a lovely pass, but he'll always try and pass it on the outside of his boot, for example. Like, just, you know, yeah. in this situation, put your foot through it, mate. Just, like, try and absolutely lever it into the back of the net because we need something, I guess. Um, I'm now going to pass over to Dan for this because he seems to be, uh, I'm not going to say an expert because that would inflate his ego too much, but he has certainly brought up Dunn's performances more than anyone else recently. And he's not done well enough, really, has he, Jimmy Dunn, for both of the goals here? Not for me. I mean, the first one, he, he lets, um, to be fair, to the striker's credit, it's good movement from Emma Reese, um, but it's far too easy to allow him to get to get goal side and in front of him to um, to get on the end of the cross. And then the second one, uh, he's one-on-one with Archer um, and he kind of like jockeys, jockeys him to kind of send him down the byline, but he somehow still manages to to let him inside. I mean, Phil, Phil should probably get there as well um, on the cover, but yeah, I think he, he had pr- a pretty poor game in my eyes. And I think even after the goals, he let, he got dispossessed by Maguire in possession. Um, could have been three nil. Um, yeah. I thought he was one of the worst uh, players in our team on, on Saturday for me. Sam, any thoughts about the two goals and how they were defended? It was just sort of typical of how we're sort of reacting at the moment. Again, soft goals. Um, and, I mean, I think we could have done better, goes without saying. But we could be doing better at every single part of our game at the moment. 
So um, when they went in, I was I didn't I don't even react because I was I didn't think we'd win. I didn't think we'd get anything. So the goals go in, you're just like, okay, yeah, makes sense. Um, and yeah, it kills our flow. I did think we were playing some nice football at times as well, which is a shame. Um, but it doesn't look like there's any bounce back coming this year, which is this looks like it's yeah. it now. This really annoying thing as a I don't know someone who's always tries to see the best in QPR. Even when we had uh, Mark Hughes and we were definitely going down then, I was like, well, it's still mathematically possible we could stay up. You may as well have the hope. You may as well have the hope because it's the only thing we got at the moment. And I looked at the table again today and play, teams have played their games in hand and teams have maybe got one game in hand now. It doesn't look so bad as well. And especially at the weekend as well, when we were drawing with Preston, the results were kind of going our way. I think if we actually got a win here, we'd not, not saying we're like dead certs, but we've got that little smidgen of hope again. Like there's something still there potentially because it's only like five or six points, the difference. And regardless of how badly we're playing, other teams are still going to lose games. And I know it's unlike, it's so, so unlikely, but we are still like that close. And just with like a little bit of luck, the stupid, optimistic we QPR need, fan in me says we could game. do this still. <laughs> yeah. No, we we really do need to win every game if that's mm-hmm. even a possibility. We have to win every game and buy some distance, I think as well. Mm. Um, I thought we were going to lose the playoffs anyway. I make a bet at the beginning of every season, and this year I did. Uh, playoffs but not promotion because yeah. I thought we were going to lose in the playoffs but I I mean Alex that is some very commendable optimism there I mean I've certainly lost that I, felt, <laughs> yeah, I personally think it's Lucas's fault because after we beat West Brom uh, he came on the pod and he said because we've beaten West Brom we're getting promoted yeah. so it's, it's more I, I wrote a programme column after AFCON which was reflecting, and the title of the program column was "Why We Should Get Our Hopes Up," and we haven't won a game <laughs> since then. It's all my fault, and I'm sorry. There's blood on both yours and Lucas's I'm hands. I'm glad someone's taking the blame for it. Uh, no, but the thing is with that that Lucas one. I remember at the time he said it, and we were just like, "Oh no, no, no you can't, you can't say that." Yeah. Oh, I, it, 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 yeah. No, did not enjoy listening to that. Um, okay, the penalty, the one shiny little glimmer of hope at the end of the game. It, could you see a more blatant penalty from shirt tugging? Like he, he literally ripped the shirt off field, and he wasn't. The ball wasn't even going near him. This is a stupid thing to do, but not that it really mattered in the end. But you know, good finish, correct decision from the penalty from the ref, I guess, for the penalty. Anyone wants to speak about them? I have no idea. I turned it off by the second goal, so I. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it. That would be a good thing to mention before we start recording, guys. Sorry, I was hoping somebody would have. But... No, I, I did see it, but I didn't. Didn't really. I wasn't really paying much attention. Um, it probably was a penalty, but at that point, let's be honest. I think when Gray, it was quite funny. Gray put the ball back, and you know when you like sprint back to try and get another goal, he was just slowly jogging. He knew. He knew it was like the full time whistle after kick off. So, yeah. I like that Gray's our penalty taker, though. It, it's gone through. Like, I mean, Dykes hasn't had many this year. He's probably had more for Scotland than he has for QPR. Dykes was never good at penalties. I'm going to make a bold claim. <laughs> I'm just saying. He scored four in a row, but he just. He scored smacked four very middle, good ones but... and then, like, forgot how to take him after that. I honestly. Proper yeah, Sunday just... League penalty taker. He just smashed. There's a real like, disintegration is sort of. Is Austin to like, you know, okay, his. his We've spoken about this enough. His overall game has been really poor this year and, like, he hasn't been able to do what we would want him to do as Charlie Austin. But you think, when you've got a penalty, who else in the team would you want apart from Charlie? He can't even take penalties now. Like, the one against Sunderland. The, that, the, that penalty. I don't know what game it was. It, I, was it Sunderland? He... Oh, the the game, the game he had a penalty Stoke. in the game. Yes, Stoke. Was that Sunderland? Yeah. Stoke, Stoke, Stoke at home, yeah. 
that was what I I knew that was going to happen as well. But it was like I've ne- a professional footballer can't kick a ball off the ground <laughs> toward uh, honestly. Uh, let's talk about the um, I don't know how to describe this. Uh, well, I guess what our fifth goalkeeper this season. I was going to say something a bit more than that, but yeah, Mahoney in goal, youth player, probably younger than all of us, starts up at Preston because of uh, violent illness to Westwood. Um, How did he play? And if your answer isn't, then he's the next Buffon, then I couldn't care less. Uh, He played played well, in fairness. Um, I thought he could have been probably, what, 4-1 4-1 down if it hadn't been for his, a few of his saves. Um, you, could, you could definitely tell he was nervous at the start because I think he had one dodgy kick and um, after that he kind of got his rhythm going. Um, he's, he's surprisingly small for a goalkeeper, I thought. Um, I don't know mm. exactly his, his height, but um, I think one point in the second half, he got um, was he, he, get hit, he got pushed against the post or something and then someone had to make a block or something like that. He felt quite lightweight for a for a goalkeeper, but um, yeah. no, he played well, um, and he might play on um, tomorrow. But we'll have to see. I was ju- I was just gonna say he's the least goalkeeper looking goalkeeper I've ever seen. He looks at best a wing back. I mean, he he's just got that look, championship wing back. Um, but he was fine. He did his job. He, he's no he's nowhere near the first team. Well, at least they don't think that. Um. So yeah, he did really well. But yeah, there was that one time where he literally just got shoved off into the goal or whatever, and I was certainly conceded. But no, good for him. The most the most googled thing after Murphy Mahoney is Murphy Mahoney height. So um, it's clearly a, a burning question on the lips of the masses. But there doesn't seem to be an answer. You should yeah. get up the was it like Google Trends and find out what how many people search for that straight as soon as he walked onto the pitch. Every QPR fan watches it. Blimey, he's a bit small, isn't he? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that when he came out, but he's good with his feet. I'll give him that. He's he's good with his feet. Well, no wonder well, Sam thinks he's... he's a wing back. Like he, he's got to be good. Well, with his feet. <laughs> he looks like a wing or like a pacey left winger. I was shocked when I saw it. Are we sure this isn't just because he's still like he just hasn't had a growth spurt or something? He's gonna at no, some point gonna just shoot up and be as tall as because Joe Lumley's massive, isn't he? He's like mm. six foot seven or something probably, but like he will eventually get up to that height. Um, but. This may sound really weird, but I actually, for his sake, really hope he doesn't play another minute for QPR this season. Just because I think he's like three games away from everyone hating him for some reason. (laughs) You're only ever three games away from everyone at QPR. Goalkeepers have, like, Senny has bucked the trend because... You know, Marshall played well and then had a few dodgy games and everyone hated him. Westwood's I don't know, like, people accept that he's just not going to be here. Lumley started to get hate pretty soon. Um, who was that guy before Lumley? You know he was, like, dead after two games. Ingram. Yeah, of like, you know, okay, he was awful, but you're never too far away from someone just turning him on you. And I just hope, you know, from his point of view as a young player, he doesn't need to be playing first-team football for QPR at the moment. Best thing for him. He's had one game. There's your experience. Now go back to the youth team. I really hope Westwood isn't sick again because it just, I get the feeling that any good from just a development plan will be thrown out the window from playing these games. I don't know if anyone would disagree with that or if that's on. No, I'm with you. I, I, I said to my dad as well um, that I felt like, do you know what? Like happy for the kid. Hopefully that's it for this season because I can't see where we're going to get another win from. And the chances are there's going to be a goal that goes in that someone somewhere will find a way to blame him and it will catch on. And then suddenly this kid's career is ruined before it's even started. So happy for him. Hope he gets a nice loan next season. Hope he's part of our team for the next five, 10 years, whatever. But just just leave him out now. <laughs> leave him out of the team till the end of the season. Sam, you're sort of maybe looking a bit unsure there. Yeah. Well, no, I was. It's kind of related, but it's. I was just gonna say that you can tell that the fans currently approve when on Twitter 
they get someone tweets like a checklist of his stats with green ticks. So, you know, when it's like uh, 90 minutes played, four saves, two kicks out. And I saw a couple of those. So I think he's in the good books. Um, that happened with Marshall. Marshall's first few games, everyone was tweeting those those bloody lists, just stating facts. Um, Go- goalkeepers yeah, go obviously aren't the most interesting one and you know having read Peter Crouch's book he said he never understood them because they just seem to spoil everyone's fun but you know having one of the stats being how many minutes they've played it isn't that impressive yeah. <laughs> just, that's that's not a worthwhile if your keeper if your keeper doesn't play 90 minutes there is a serious problem well, yeah that's the that serious is... problem is QPR's goalkeepers <laughs> That's true as well. Claps, claps for Big Murph for playing 90 minutes, everyone. Really well done, uh, Yeah, as Micah said, we wish him all the best for the future, but he is part of the future. We don't want him having too much pressure right now, this minute, because I, I just feel like it would uh, ruin any development that's going his way. Um, so that's Preston done. We've spoken for 40 minutes on these two games, and we've still got other stuff to get to. So um, the big one, Warburton's future. Uh, it feels like a long time since we last did a podcast and talked about Warburton's future, but I guess it's only really been a week. Um, and it feels to me, and I get—I don't know if you guys would agree, but it feels more likely that there will be a parting of ways once the season's come to an end, his contract is up, as we understand it. Um, but strangely, in this sort of, I don't know, carousel of twitter opinions and the sort of like the timeline of what we're going down at this point in time i keep on seeing tweets of people now backing warburton supporting him saying he's developed these players he's got us playing this way he you know he really understands the club and i'm like this this, where was this like two weeks ago (laughs) it's just sort of we're on this process towards perhaps warburton's inevitable contract expiry and now we're at the stage where we're kind of we're mourning him at this point. Like that's what we're doing. We're getting the mourning at started early. We've kind of gone past hate. We're now into mourning, and then we're sort of thinking, <laughs> "Oh God, what have we done next?" But you know, anyone else finding it a little bit weird at the moment? Mm, I think. I think some people have kind of come to the acceptance that there will be no Daniel Farker, there will be no David Wagner, there will be no Marcelo Sorry, Bielsa. Did you not read that article from the 72? Nuno. I was just about to say, I saw Nuno Espirito Santos recently sacked Tottenham Hotspur manager. I saw fans calling for him. I think that's ambitious at best. I think, I think people have kind of accepted that... Um, if we get Warburton, if we get Warburton out, we're not getting a big name in, um, and that's tough for a lot of QPR fans to accept. Clearly, uh, some people have this perception of us as like Norwich or or Leeds or whatever. Those guys aren't coming in. I think people have accepted that now, and they're like, "Well, who can we get in that's better?" And it's like, whoever we get in is a gamble. I'm not saying there's not anybody better out there. I'm sure there probably is if you like did enough research, but whoever it is, it's it's going to be a bit of a gamble. And, you know, you take nine games out of this season, you know, it's been a pretty successful season. I know people argue that we're not overachieving. I feel like we were at one point. Maybe now we are where we should be. Well, yeah, that's the other um, thing to say. People so- are saying, like, how can you say that we're overachieving? People weren't, aren't saying we're overachieving now. We mean, like, nine games ago when no, we were in the playoffs touching distance of the automatic positions that was overachieving no one no one at all is saying that what we're doing right now is overachieving um people seem to disagree with that and they have their opinions and whatever uh do you think that you know one of these things that i've been seeing is that warburton would be right up the top of the list for another championship club if they were looking for a manager. Would you agree with that? I saw Reading fans the other day saying if QPR let Warburton go, we'd have him. So Sam? I'm not sure. I don't speak for all Reading fans and I'm sure that Reading fan doesn't either, but you know, it says a lot. He's such a good fit for the club. I genuinely he just seems natural 
he seems like the right person for this stage. We're not going to be here, I mean, touch wood, for the rest of QPR's existence. But right now, look at the numbers, the financial position we're in. Look at the players he's managed to get with the restrictions he's had. He really, truly understands the game. He really does. He's really knowledgeable. The way he presents himself, he's completely self-aware. He says, if I say this, I'll get a whole newspaper article, so I'm not going to say this. Um, of course, I support all my players, but obviously... The way he speaks is uh, there's someone who not only knows what he's talking about, but he also cares. And I don't think there are many people like that. I mean, look at the... I'm not going to name names, but the last managers we've had, some of whom couldn't string a sentence together in an interview... Obviously, it's not enough to keep the reins of a football club um, just by being able to speak well. But I just think he's such a good egg to have running the team. And I just think it would be so irrational and impulsive to just go, oh, he's lost eight games now, let's get rid of him. Because wider picture, if you look at the overall stats, doesn't he have the best win percentage? Yeah. Or near? Yeah, best win percentage. What more do fans want? A better win percentage? Well, I guess yes. But (laughs) (laughs) not the worst thing to ask for, is it? Essentially, what I'm saying is we can't be greedy. I think we have to be sensible above all else. And I think given the time, then see what he does. I would get rid of him next year if he still is doing the same pattern of but this is kind of being yeah. more of a sensible club, though, isn't it? If we do decide to keep him in, in the end, like that is what a sensible club does, isn't it? They kind of, they go, okay, well, we played well up to a certain point. Then we didn't play well enough. Uh, these players didn't did this. These players did that. We've already looked at what we want to recruit for next season, um, and we're going to try and go again. But we're not going to outspend our means. We're going to keep everything sustainable. And then five years down the line, we're hopefully going to be a better football club for it. That's what people wanted, wasn't it? That's what they want. They wanted a sensibly run QPR. They didn't want QPR that spent a load of money. And now we have to spend a load of money to get back into the Premier League because that's what people want. Like, you know, make your minds up. It's, it's, It's interesting. I think more than anything, this is a very big kind of moment for... Um, the board for Les, for Lee Hoos, because um, they're not completely comparable situations, but the year we went up in 2013-14, people often forget this, but Steve McLaren was on our coaching staff um, and Derby had Nigel Clough as their manager, um, obviously the son of Brian, who's very big sort of legacy at Derby. He sort of steadied the shit with Derby and developed some good young players, obviously Will Hughes, Jeff Hendrick, who plays for us, uh, among others. Chris Martin as well. And at the start of Sorry, that season... I, I can't were a little... imagine Chris Martin ever being young. He's always been he was 35. Once, Apparently he was once. I, <laughs> I'm i like you, Alex. I thought he came to earth on a fossil as a 35-year-old, but apparently he was a young man once. No, nope, it didn't um... happen, Micah. It didn't happen. <laughs> I don't have evidence, but there we go. Um, yeah, but they, they let him go at the start of the season and their fans were a bit in uproar because they were like, he's steady the ship. Because at that time, Derby were much more of like a relegation sort of side. Obviously, they changed the manager. Steve McLaren came in. Those young players were obviously a lot better than everybody thought they made the playoffs. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there's been countless circumstances, even at QPR, where we have done the same thing and it's backfired for us. So I think the board have a really big decision on their hands in do we stick with this? Because whatever they do, if it goes wrong, people are going to be calling for their heads. And I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong, but it's going to happen. So do we stick, except that, you know, Dickie probably goes this summer. One of Dickie, Chair, Dieng or Willock probably goes this summer and we rebuild again. Or do we twist, try and get someone in and hope, hope that we make the playoffs? It's a really big decision and I think it will sort of say a lot about what the board actually expects from the club as opposed to the fans. I saw the other day um, on Twitter that the Plymouth, I don't know, Plymouth seems to be having a really good season and there was a really impressive stat about the their manager in particular. And I just saw that and thought, 
yeah, in the summer, people are going to be tweeting that sort of stuff a lot about him. That'll be like, yeah, we should we should be getting this guy who's probably had like I don't know maybe one season of EFL experience. I don't know, but like it, it felt like the sort of yeah, well, we'll that's that's who we should be getting. That's who we should be getting, and then like we go and get some completely uninspiring uh, appointment instead. Uh, does anyone else have anything to add on Warburton's future before we move on to our previews for the next couple of games? Um, I just want to say something on the club model. I mean, I know I get it's a results based industry, and obviously we've we've kind of hit a hit a cliff or whatever. But like the the likes of people say about it, it developing young players, but he also develops players. I mean, within the club model as well, the likes of Willock who potentially might go, I don't know, or who I definitely have interest, the likes of Dickie, you know, we've got to find that balance between a results-based um, manager and someone that can continue the club model and progress on top of that. So I think it's I think it's a tough job that whoever comes in next, if they do, that, um, yeah, they've got they've got a lot on their hands. But I think you've got to factor in the club's model in, in kind of Warburton's role for me. Um, I don't think you can just say, oh, we're doing rubbish on the pitch, we've only won one of our last eight or whatever and he has to go I think there has to be progression within the model as well as on the pitch I just wanted to add as well I personally think they're going to sack him like I think that's going to happen at the end of the season they'll say we thank Mark for his time and services but go away forever Um, but my problem with sacking Orbiton in general is that what we want is progress and I think we'd be throwing away three years of really positive movement, forward movement, if we got rid of him and we'd be starting again because we'd have to have a new vision. Because don't forget the academy and all the all the players that are fighting first-team places, that also gets uh, influenced by Warburton's um, uh, say. So that means that we're not just undoing the first-team's sort of ideologies now it's undoing the club's identity which were built and we competed at the top and i really think we will keep competing we just unfortunately i think we burnt ourselves out this season and i do think we need to give him the chance to show that he's learned from that um and also all the players he's developed they probably enjoy playing for qpr because of Mark Warburton. Look how much those players care. Jimmy Dunn's been here a season. He was crying his eyes out in one of the losses. I can't remember which one. It was a home one. But he was devastated. The fact that the players care that much, I think, is down to Mark. And I think we'll lose that. I think more players will leave if we get rid of Warburton. And when it happens, because I think it will, I think it'll be a big mistake. And I think we'll be putting ourselves in a position we shouldn't be in. Yep. I think some very well-made points there regarding Warburton's future, but we must move on to tomorrow's game against Huddersfield. They're third in the table. They are absolutely flying. And, you know, it's just another difficult game. We've got a list of injuries to cope with. Dickey, as we've mentioned already, out for the season as well. Westwood is still a doubt. Hendrick, Wallace and Barbe are also doubts as well because we have got, as it has been mentioned a few times, walking wounded um <clears throat> dan this is another team though with another manager that you uh you kind of have the tactical hots for i'm gonna say explain yeah, i mean i've never heard that before but um yeah no i like i like him <laughs> tactical hots he do, he loves the t- he loves this the uh the stuff that, that huddersfield play huddersfield and luton are like dan's favorite sides apart from qpr yeah um no, I think I think Corbran's a good manager. Um, obviously, he's he's good tactically. Um, he, he's a bit like Warburton. He's developed a lot of um, a lot of players because I don't think they had the biggest of budgets. Um, they had to cut the wage bill since they came down from the Premier League. Um, they're, they're, I mean, they're doing very well at the minute. Obviously, third in the league. Um, they've got some good players, the likes of Levi Colwell, who's on loan from Chelsea. Um, Lewis O'Brien. Uh, he pro- probably could have gone to the Premier League in the summer. Um, and also Sorba Thomas, who's pretty much contributed to the ridiculous set-piece um, improvement this season. I think they've they've scored the most set-pieces in the league ahead of Fulham, uh, about 18. Um, so, yeah, they're going to be a threat from kind of all facets of the, of the game. Yeah. Um, 
so with these injuries considered, and I kind of want you guys to put together a team for both Huddersfield and Derby, assuming we don't have any more injuries. I mean, it's going to be kind of hard to predict because I'm sure by the time Derby rolls around, Mahoney will be injured and we'll be having to call up the under-17s goalkeeper and there'll be, you know, all those sort of jokes. So, I, you know, what what team do we want to see? Micah, who, what would be your preferred start in eleven? Quickly just run through it. Uh, none of them. Um, <laughs> End of podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, obviously Westwood in goal if he's not available and I suppose you know whoever else has a pair of goalie gloves Um, I've got some under my bed like um, yeah ready to go yeah can we change the goal to five side goals be really helpful Uh, we can't do that unfortunately no I do imagine you are probably taller than Murphy (laughs) Mahoney though so might be worth a go Um, yeah do you know what I, I didn't hate the diamond on Saturday. So if we were to go with that again, I imagine we probably will because we've got no centre-backs. Not that we sent one out on loan who's doing really well or anything. But um, So I, I would go with the diamond again, to be honest with you. Um, I quite like the way that full worked in the first. Obviously, I stopped watching after the second goal, so I don't really know how the game finished. But in the first half, I thought the Dizel, Amos, Johansson field thing was actually pretty good. So... Is it weird for me to say go unchanged after a loss? But I think I would, to be honest. I'd maybe swap McCallum for Wallace, but that's about well, it. The thing is, you don't really have anything else, and that's kind of the problem, isn't it? Because you would be swapping... I mean, who else are you going to bring in? Yeah. Like Austin or Hendrick, if he's fit? Yeah, I don't know. Like like you said, Wallace. There's nothing else there, is there? No Sinclair Armstrong either oh. anymore. What a shame. Don't, don't even go <laughs> I've never seen that kind of reaction to someone getting announced that's going up. Someone that's never played for us, mind you. I've never seen that reaction. Someone getting sent out on loan that has not kicked the ball for us. I mean, well, well Aldershot seem to think they've got some Champions League striker. Yeah. <laughs> that bio, they so so Linked with uh, Man City, everyone. European Giants, Man City, not, oh. not just Man City. Yeah, European giants without a European Champions League. Incredible, that is. Incredible. Um, yeah, so that's kind of it for the sort of team lineup. We can't really, we can hope, I guess. But what, Sam, what do you, um, from these two, next two games, what do you want to see us change? What do you want to see us do a little bit differently to try and get something? Well, I think it's pretty simple. I would like to see us not be really, really bad at football. I would like us to be good at football. And I'd like to score some goals. I would like um, some fight. I don't know. Because it's not even that like we're not fighting. I think we just lost a bit of our flow. I just want not a disaster. I don't want us to get our heads down when we concede. I'm saying when. I also don't want to get battered. I don't want to lose 6-0. Um, It'd be really bad if we lose six nil to Derby. Five, that's okay. Really <laughs> bad. That would be horrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, as long as we turn up and play the game, and um, I want someone to be able to tweet a list of green ticks for one of our players about their performance. I'm gonna do it, even if we even even if we lose, it'll be Kieran Westwood. Ninety minutes played, some saves, sick trim, great. I, I want to see it done for players on the bench that didn't get on. Zero minutes played, <laughs> ten Jaffa cakes eaten in honor of Macaulay Bond, like you know this sort of thing. That's what I want to see. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, Micah, what do you see as the bare minimum for us from these next two games? I think we lose to Huddersfield. Um, you can't see us winning. Um, I think if we don't beat Derby, oh, it's going to be ugly. It is going to be. It's it's going to be so ugly. Um, three points from these two has to be the minimum. I would. The say. thing is, we. I think even a draw would send people nuts. You say a draw would send people nuts. We nearly, when we were playing well, didn't beat Derby apart from like an amazing goal 
in the last minute for Andre yeah, Gray. Yeah, but we hadn't just Well, if we lose to Huddersfield, that's five in a row, I believe, we would have lost. Derby is the next game that I'm actually able to get to and be in the ground for. And I can't remember the last time I was actually in the ground for a QPR game. So uh, I don't know whether I'm excited or not. We'll wait and see. But let's just quickly touch on the opposition for that game, Derby County. Uh, another manager that Dan thinks quite highly of, Wayne Rooney. And I think at some point last week, he said that Rooney should be our next manager. So... No, no, I didn't. I didn't quite. I didn't quite say that. I, I, I said. I said that he might be. You're going to put me in the. In the yeah. Yeah. That, that this bit is being clipped up and put out there. You want Wayne Rooney for oh, our next God. manager? I, I wouldn't. No. I, I would say that he's a very good manager, but I'm pretty sure he turned down Everton like at some point this season. I remember why. We're battling Everton to be fair. So they might be in the championship, won't they? So it could be a similar. I reckon we'd be, oh, we did beat Everton, didn't we? I was just about to say I reckon we'd beat Everton, but we did. Yeah. So there we go. That's why he turned them down. He was waiting I for us. I personally cannot wait to see Deli Ali play in the championship <laughs> next season. Um, but yeah, Rooney, very good coach. Is there anything that we can expect from Derby apart from Ravel Morrison Hattrick? Um, I don't know. It, it really depends what system we play. Um, I can. I don't want us to play the diamond for the next two because I felt. I for me, I felt that it, it's a lot of uh, work for our fullbacks to kind of get up and down the pitch, create. Because otherwise, we're far too central. And I can see, particularly with um, with Derby and Huddersfield, I think they both play back four. Um, they're, they're you kind of saying that like it's, we're still playing the wing backs without playing the wing backs in a certain sense of that formation. Well, we're kind of like yeah. you know. It's still quite and set up for wing backs to play that way, but then we don't really have the cover for it. I can just, I can just see if we line up with a diamond. I could just see both sides just literally just overloading wide areas and just trying to attack us through there. Um, yeah, I don't know what you, I mean. Derby will press us. Um, I think they did in the in the, the game when we when we played away, um, particularly first half. We we struggled quite badly. Um, and they're a decent side in possession with the likes of Max Bird, uh, Jason Knight. They've got some good young players in the side with some experienced heads. So, yeah, I don't think it'd be an easy task like Huddersfield. Um, and I don't really know what to expect in terms of we could have a load of injuries after tomorrow's game. Uh, yeah, I think, though, there is a slight um, possibility because there's only five games left, isn't there? There may be a situation if Derby lose tomorrow that if a win from us could relegate them can you imagine twitter That's fun. <laughs> that would be fun to be fair that might be a silver lining for this season I think, yeah they've got it's unlikely that they're going to win because they're playing fulham tomorrow uh, it's uh, it is still unlikely that that goes to that because they would have to like reading would probably have to beat sheffield united i think so that was just a very quick sort of look at the table before we came on, but it does seem like there could be an outside chance of us potentially relegating them, um, which would be like... Could they relegate us? <laughs> With a big enough win? <laughs> Six or seven? We'll just be like, we'll take your place. Look, uh, EFL decided to dock points because we lose like 20-0 to Derby or something like that. We're embarrassing the, the game of football. <laughs> um, but it would be kind of in a certain sense, poetic, wouldn't it? Because that Bobby Zamora goal is like the start of a chain of events that leads to Derby being in this situation. And who comes along to finish it off? I, I reckon we just get Bobby, Bobby Zamora on the bench at the weekend. Yeah, One week contract, yeah. just get him there. Um, is there anything else to say as this podcast is rapidly def- descending into madness as we suggest Bobby Zamora comes back for a week to play for QPR against yeah. Derby? Anyone else got anything to say? Um, mm, no, no we'll other than the end of the season. Recall Sinclair, Recall Sinclair Armstrong. Armstrong. Yeah. Dan, what was it you said? Can we win a game before the end of the season? No. Um, <laughs> that, that's an official answer, by the way, <laughs> on behalf of the club. Uh, Keep the faith. That's mine. Keep the faith in Warburton. Not the season. The season. Give up with that. Keep the faith in the manager, though. Okay. That's all I have to uh, say. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. That's us done. Uh, we will be back soon with another episode reviewing all these games that we have just talked about. 
And I'm sure that we will be praising QPR for two exceptional performances and celebrating six points in the bag. In the meantime, however, Dan has his tactical articles on his Substack, and a link can be found to that on his Twitter page at DanLambert underscore. Micah has his QPR account at underscore L-I-B-A-W. Anything coming up soon on there, Micah? Yeah, tomorrow I'm uploading something um, themed around the run-in of the 2011-12 season. Yep, that's correct. I initially did it to try and get people to keep faith in um, our playoff push, but seeing as I've just said give up on the season, just enjoy it as a bit of nostalgia when it comes out, (laughs) I guess. Fantastic. Uh, and Sam has and said, it, yeah, it's been great. doing the rounds <laughs> on various shows, including BBC London Sport and the Open All Ours pod, as I understand. So go listen to him wherever you can. Uh, so thanks for listening. And uh, just to echo what Dan said, a QPR, please just win a football game, please. Just just win something. 